Podcast of the cinema. We're back. Uh, yes, we've been we've been away for we just a little bit. We went to many places. Yes, but we did a lot of things. Home again. Home and again. We, we succeeded at every point. Absolutely. Uh, you're Dave White. I'm Alonzo Duraldi. We're film critics, and this is our podcast, which this week this week turns this luck- actual week. this actual week. Oh. Turns lucky 13. We've been podcasters for 13 years. As I like to say, whenever it comes up, when we started this podcast, podcasts were a joke. And then they became cool, and now they're a joke again. And we're still here. We're still doing this. But we're, we're like podcast elders at this point. Yeah, I mean, sure, uh, Whatever that entails, I, I don't the, know. the ones that were around when now, we started, a lot of them aren't anymore, I know and a lot of them started after us. So that is correct. We are the grizzled, grand old <laughs> uh, speak, men of podcasts. Speak for yourself. I'm not grizzled. <laughs> we're we're venerable. I'm extremely Dave. cute. We are venerable. Um. All right. So here's. Because yeah. it's been a couple weeks. And and I asked you before we started to tell me what we were talking about, and uh, you didn't. So I guess I'm just going to learn, learn as we go. No, no, you're going to learn right now. Okay. Uh, Alonzo went away for for a week to Greenville, South Carolina, uh-huh. to work with the Deck the Hallmark guys. Yes. On their marathon. And other things. And then some other things that is still, that's still not public not information yet. yet? Okay. It's cool, though. We'll talk about it when it is. It's a cool thing. Um, Then you went to Atlanta. Yes. And I flew to Atlanta to meet you. Yes. And we were there for a week. Yeah. Because uh, one of our nephews got married. Yep. And the Duralde family, when they do a thing, they do a, a, a major thing. A big, fancy Spanish family joined forces with a big, fancy Mexican family. Yes. And now they're twice, twice as strong. Exactly. <laughs> twice. We, we are. We twice as powerful. We became Voltron. I don't even know the metaphor. There I are want so here. many new names. <laughs> yes. That I have not learned, and I, I mean, I have time, <laughs> I guess. Um, so now we're back and I guess we should talk about the schedule too. Um, we're going to crank out as many of these as we can. Yes. Before November 20th. Today is November 4th. Yes. In exactly two weeks. I have the first of two hip replacement surgeries. Now you did call me grizzled. Which I rejected, but I am old. Yeah, <laughs> I'm old enough to have a hip replacement surgery. That's I right. am as old as Carrie Bradshaw, <laughs> perhaps older. 
And she too had a hip replacement. Yes. In a much uh, more moneyed environment. Yeah, you're you're not getting the private suite that she got. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not getting a suite at all. They're sending me home yeah. the moment they <laughs> sew me back up. There's no room at the inn for you. So I know it's going to happen on Thanksgiving week. It's going to happen the Monday of Thanksgiving week. Yes. And that means that most of Thanksgiving week, uh, there is, you're not going to hear from me. I'm going to be recovering. I'm going to be convalescing. I'm going to be meeting with my physical therapist. They are sending a physical therapist to this home, which I think is crazy. It feels old-timey somehow to me. Well, I, better than lugging your old bones around. Yes. I'll be lugging one less old bone around, though. <laughs> That's true. They're going to give me one new titanium bone. That's true. It's not even a bone. It's, no, a, it's, a, it's joint a joint socket. Joint and a socket and a... A thing? I don't know. A toot and a whistle and a But it is going to be metal. Yes. Uh, so I will forever set off metal detectors <laughs> in security circumstances. Uh, you know what? I don't really, I feel like... And I'm going to look at them and I'm going to go, it's all down here, baby. There are so <laughs> many... If it, Just based on our own personal level of anecdotal evidence, yeah. there are so many artificial hips in the world. Yes. That I, I, I imagine that either they aren't setting off metal detectors or it's like a, it happens multiple times a day. Uh, what I learned from TSA coming and going to Atlanta uh-huh. was that the, they ask you, like, do you have any metal joint mm. replacements in your body? I see. Um, they especially ask you if you are <laughs> hobbling up to the... <laughs> To the thing with a cane, and you've been you've been driven there by an airport employee in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair, yeah. So um, that's a fair question. It is, and I uh, and soon I, you'll be able to say yes. Anyway, what I'm saying is Thanksgiving week. Don't expect to hear from me, yeah. but I am told that this recovery is very uh, quick. Very, very mm-hmm. quick. So I'm I'll be I'll be ready to go as soon as I can go. However, you may be moving the podcast equipment over to the comfort of my recovery recliner. Oh, really? You might. Really? You might. Well. You might. It Don't actually, say, listen. You know what? Whatever it, I need, you know, my, 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 my convalescent nurse. Don't think. I'm not aware. You're going to be. When you're, I you're gonna ring be giving my me little, the clap, clap. I'm going to be Monty hands. Woolley and the man that came to dinner. You're going to be, be Carmelo Soprano bell. with the thing with the hand. I got a. I'm getting a bell. Waving the hand forward. It's going to be a big. I, it's going to be like a dinner triangle. Oh, oh God, <laughs> my kettle. No, it actually will, will make more sense for me to have all the podcast equipment at that end of the table anyway, because once the tree goes up, yes, that will be my like Zoom background. That will be. So the. Uh, so yeah, that's what's happening. I mean, wish me luck. And if anybody local wants to visit after the surgery and bring me some snacks and treats and foods, uh, I'm graciously. You will be accepting. Oh, I'm accepting. I've already had someone offer. Okay. A, a friend of ours said, uh, I'm making homemade tortillas. I just got a new press. And I was like, ooh. And then he goes, I'll bring you some. And I was like, yeah. thank you. Um, so that's, listen, the line forms behind uh, that pal. And, and anybody 
Anybody who's got a treat for my comfort and and, and recovery, <laughs> you should absolutely. Oh boy! You should absolutely. Uh, you are going to be the next <laughs> six months is you milking it for all it's worth. My bones. Yeah, my avian bones. My bones. <laughs> <laughs> while you were gone, so here's, while you were gone, I engaged in a little bit of spooky season fun. Great. It's November 4th. Halloween yes. is over. Yes. Mariah Carey has come out of uh, her, her, her ice vault. Her ice vault. And, um, but while you were gone, I watched, I had in mind, to watch four uh, things. I was going to rewatch the OG Exorcist mm-hmm. because friend and neighbor Gary Cotty said, hey, let's watch The Exorcist and Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Because I've never seen Exorcist 2. Really? The Heretic. And so, but I've seen the, 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 the real first one, The yes. Exorcist, <clears throat> several times. And... And he said, it's been years since I've seen The Exorcist. I said, it's been about 20 years since I've seen it. So let's watch it. So we came over, we watched it. It's still... Yeah. <clears throat> that movie will put you through it. It is really... Many have tried. Really difficult. Uh, and I remember when I was a kid, the first time I watched it, I couldn't. I could not get through it. I was so freaked out by it. How old were you? I was 14. Yeah. Oh, Wait, and I, 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 oh, I demanded and I begged. I told um, my mom, my dad had HBO. And he, my dad was an early adopter of HBO. He had his, you know, bachelor pad. He had HBO. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to Pops. I'm going to go watch The Exorcist. She goes, no. <laughs> it'll give you nightmares don't do it she goes you don't want to see that movie I go but I do <laughs> I really really do want to see that movie I've been I've been jonesing to see this movie since it came out in 1973 when I was 8 and you read the mad magazine and the parody. local <laughs> listen the local newspaper had a special restriction oh yeah it, the local the local theater where it showed had a special restriction rated R no one under 18 without a, a parent or guardian. No one under 12 under any circumstances. Yeah. That's what it said in the print ad. And I was like, ooh, what is this? <laughs> Forbidden fruit. Yeah, what is this? I got to know. And so I read, the, I read the Mad Magazine parody. Yes. And, you know, pieced it together. And then I heard other people talk about it. And then one of my brothers had a Richard Pryor comedy album where he did a bit about it. And I was like, when I heard Richard Pryor talk about it, I was like, that happens? <laughs> he also did an exorcist sketch on SNL, if you recall. I don't remember that. Richard Pryor did, yeah. Yeah. But I was, I remember when, when I heard him talk about it on the comedy album, which I was not supposed to listen to. Of but course. I, but no one was home, so I was like, I'm listening to this. <laughs> Any, if you told me as a child, it didn't matter how old I was, if you told me no, I would sneak around and I, oh, would, yeah. I would get to that no, no. piece of media somehow, some way. 
this this is what it was to be a kid in the seventies. There wasn't enough actual media aimed at us, so yeah. we were just jonesing to read all. This I was stuff. ready. We weren't supposed to. Even when I wasn't movies. ready, I was ready. So I said to my mom, "I'm going to I'm going to pops. I'm going to stay over. I'm going to watch The Exorcist." <laughs> she goes, "Okay, you're old enough, I guess. You've seen R-rated movies. Go do it." You're gonna get you're gonna have nightmares. Don't do it, but but fine, go do it. I go to my dad's, and naturally it's Saturday night. My dad is like, I got chicks to go look at, man. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go hang with the ladies, so he did, and I stayed in, at his apartment and I watched all alone. I watched The Exorcist all alone until that scene. Mm-hmm. What is how? What is that? Forty minutes into the movie. Maybe. I guess. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I, 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 I can't. <laughs> Mommy. I was too freaked out to even go. Like, I'm trying not to look at the screen and also walk to the TV to turn off the TV. You know, because this was back in the day. You had to go stand turn up and it go, off, turn yes. off the television. Oh, then I watched it again in college, and I got through it the whole way, got the whole time. And, and I was like, okay, I did it. I'll tell you. You know, it's funny. I, I scoffed at you, you watching it at 14. I was only 16. Yeah. And I had categorized The Exorcist with Jaws as like, nope. <laughs> I know myself well enough that I do not want no. You can't do it. Uh-uh. But my senior year in high school, some theater in Atlanta for a week, booked a 70 millimeter print of yeah. The Exorcist. It was re-released oh, with some frequency. All the time, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do this. Who went with you? Two good friends. Two friends from high school. Two friends from high school. Yeah. And it was fine, and I got through it, and you know, it didn't traumatize me, except... And they let you in. 16, yeah. you didn't yeah. have to... Yeah. You, could, you didn't have to... It was, we went on like a Thursday night. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it was a Thursday night because the next day, I went on one of my college visitation trips. To Georgetown. To Georgetown. Yes. He didn't get into Georgetown, you guys. Uh, no, did not. But I walked down the exorcist stairs. Yeah, you and a million other people all well, the time trying to I walked down have those, a tourist moment. I walked down those stairs thinking, like, I can do this. I can do this. It's good. It's fine. Blah, blah. It's only a movie. It's only it's a movie. It's only a movie. movie. I get yeah. down to the bottom. There is actually no Satan. I, there is Just that. FYI. I get to the bottom of the stairs. I look to my right. And I see a gigantic rat. Oh, the devil rat. The devil rat. You saw the devil rat. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> that rat is, look, that rat gets paid to be there. <laughs> It's a people pay it to take tourists, pictures. Yeah, you take pictures, pictures with it, like with like, like Jack Sparrow rat. on Hollywood yeah. Boulevard. Yeah. yeah, so I saw the Devil Rat at the bottom of the Exorcist <laughs> stairs right after seeing the movie, and it was like, yeah, okay. So we watched it again, and and oh, the whole time through, Gary Cotty's like, I don't remember this. I don't remember this. Oh my god, I don't remember that. <laughs> now the the version that you watched was, did, was it on like Blu-ray or streaming or what did you streaming? Watch? Is it the no. It's the old one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So no spider walk. Yeah, there was no spider walk. Um, And none of those pointless scenes about Lee J. Cobb talking about movies that don't exist? No. Okay. No. (laughs) 
it was uh that was none of that none gotcha. of that not and um this is what I said this is the OG yeah exorcist I've seen the I've seen the expanded director yeah we saw it at the Chinese I we did say. see it at yeah. the Chinese yeah and and Warner put out a 4K this year to celebrate the 100th anniversary, and I'm sure to. Well, actually, no. I guess they don't care if the Exorcist Believer makes money because they don't. It's not their movie. It ain't theirs. They don't care. So then, I watched the Pope's Exorcist, which came out (laughs) earlier this year. Oh, brother! (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you a thing. There is no good Exorcist movie after The Exorcist. You might. Period. um, (laughs) You might. You might think you want to watch The Pope's Exorcist, but if you do, you don't want to watch it the day after you watch The Exorcist. <laughs> no, of course not. Because this this young boy in The Pope's Exorcist, you know, God bless him and his career. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be fine. That's like having a beef Wellington at a great restaurant and the next day having a beef Wellington on coach in on Spirit Airlines. Right. Do, would they give you a beef Wellington in I, coach on Spirit I'm Airlines? I'm thinking no, but I'm it's a, I'm making a point. Anyway. This kid is all just like F F F F F. I'm the devil. Ah. And it, the whole time you're like, shut up, kid. No, you're not. <laughs> now, is go sit down, behave. Is is he is Russell Crowe playing the guy in the dumb documentary that William Friedkin did yeah. a few years ago? Yeah, that movie was awful. Yeah, <laughs> this is a real exorcist, mm. a real Catholic priest in Italy. Yeah, who's a real exorcist, who was a true believer in his job. Performed many exorcisms. None of them real. No. Look, <laughs> what, so, would, what would what would be the what, what is the devil's end game here? <laughs> I made a twelve-year-old girl's head spin around and vomit, you know, pea soup or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and and, how, and other things. How, how does yeah and other things? How does other that things. how does that help your foothold in the ongoing war against God? <laughs> Someone explain it to me. I don't get it. Um. Here's why you should, here's why you should watch the Pope's Exorcist. Russell Crowe makes everything he touches somehow Russell Crowey and better. <laughs> Fighting around the world. He is he's such a dude <laughs> that he just swaggers into this movie, got a hip flask, rides a Vespa, he's like, ciao. Oh, so he's, he's a hot priest. He's, then, he's is what we're talking about. Here. He is he is sexy papa bear priest mm. with a goofy Italian accent. <laughs> Whoa! Hold it. Yes. I'm sorry. Like like <laughs> Russell Crowe does an Italian accent. Like I want him and Jared Leto to have a contest <laughs> where oh, they're I like. I just want to show my passion. He's a real manja spaghetti, if you know what I mean. <laughs> It's, oh my! Ah, uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, his character—I don't even know if the real guy is like this or not—but his character is always like, "I got jokes." <laughs> He's very defiant for the Catholic hierarchy, right? You know, uh, he does indeed have to go like help the Pope 
with like the devil and <laughs> okay see that's the thing if yeah. you're the devil you possess the pope <laughs> but you do it discreetly yeah. so no one notices and then you perpetrate mischief or whatever anyway <laughs> that was the movie <laughs> I, I watched it on Netflix. I was home alone. For spooky season. And I will tell you a thing. The thing that I never do. Yeah. I was on my phone <laughs> most of the film. Ouch. Yeah. But it's there. It came out in 2023. <laughs> it is a film of the of American cinema <laughs> that you can watch. Oh, and it made a, an F ton of money. Uh, and they're going to probably make another one. Oh, what, the Pope's other exorcist? No, the the Pope's exorcist returns. <laughs> because you know Russell Crowe's like, oh, you're going to pay me some money? Like, here's why he did the movie. They shot it in Ireland. He likes Ireland. Uh-huh. He likes to ride his bike around Ireland. <laughs> and so... I'm sure Ireland passes for Italy as well as Russell Crowe passes for having an Italian accent. I didn't know where it was shot. I, see. I was surprised when I found out that it was shot in Ireland. Right. In any case, you know another one's coming. So it's good that I have this one under my belt. Because I'll be ready for part two. Uh, okay. So I, I made Dave tell me what we're talking about this week. Uh, we're going <laughs> to kick off. That was a little pause there. Yes. Yeah. We're going to kick off with... Uh, oh, this... I already kicked off with The Pope's Exorcist. Oh, that counts as a thing? Okay, fine. That's a film All right, fine. that Mo- I saw moving and just on... reviewed on this podcast. Fine. Moving on Professionally. to... Professionally. Moving on to actual cinema. <laughs> the Palm Door winner of this year's Cannes Film Festival. It did win the Palm Door. Uh, Justine Trier's Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, starring Sandra Huller from the film... Uh, Tony Erdman, about which we still disagree, and um, but that I'm right about. Uh, Continue or not? And anyway, so this one is—I mean, it's kind of a true—not true crime. It's kind of a courtroom drama, kind of a mystery, but it's also—it's really about a marriage, uh, you know, explored after the fact. So uh, Sandra Hewler plays a, a famous uh, author. She lives in the Alps with her husband uh, and their child, who is uh, visually impaired. Yes. And, um, you know, the the film begins, she's being interviewed, and the husband is off working on part of the house and rather passive-aggressively blasting really loudly like the worst version of... (laughs) A 50 Cent A 50 Cent, the P-I-M-P, right? Yeah, it's... um... And it's like an instrument. With like, like steel drum. Yeah, I don't even know. But anyway, it's not it's important. It's like they, they should play it at Gitmo. It's that that grating. Um, anyway, it goes this a couple of times. Uh, the, 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 the son goes, takes the dog for a walk. When he comes back, uh, the father has fallen out the window to his death. Yes. Uh, at first... It's like, oh, no, an accident. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, we think maybe the wife did it. And so then off we go into the full investigation, the complications of the fact that their son is also the key witness in many ways. Um, And over the course of the film, we dig into what their marriage was like. 
based on the kind of things you learn in a trial in terms based on eyewitness testimony, based on what outsiders say, based on what the surviving wife says, based on an audio recording that surfaces later. Are any of these definitive answers? Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) It's a trial. It's a courtroom drama. Yeah. And most of the action happens in that courtroom. All of the possibilities are laid out during the during the, the ensuing trial. Yes. Accident, suicide, murder, how it might have happened. What how, we know, how, what we think we know. How each possibility might have happened. More importantly, as you said, because this is a film about a marriage, the why of those possibilities. Justine Trier, uh, this is her, I think it's her fourth feature. And uh, Had you seen any of the other ones? This is, not an, this is not an ad for the Patreon, but I will discuss it later. <laughs> but on, on our Patreon, each day, we do a thing called LKRX. Get it? Prescription? Yes. And quite often... I am pushing people to go to a website called Le Cinema Club where every week they stream for free a film that they have chosen. Hmm. And when Anatomy of a Fall opened, they streamed for free Justine Trier's uh, debut feature from 2013, Age of Panic, Hmm. which I watched on Le Cinema Club. Uh, It's a wonderful uh, site, and it's free, 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 free. <laughs> Age of Panic mixes reality and 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 fiction, um, and it is about a couple who is divorced and their constant conflict, particularly regarding their two children, <laughs> and how a day in their life plays out as they become involved in extremely tense circumstances related to, you know, the kids and who's got them and why and where. So Justine Trier is, you know, anatomizing, no pun intended, marital relationships. Yeah. From the first film to now. So this one has so much depth and so much complexity regarding how couples and families operate and regarding whose reality sort of wins the day. You know, who gets to decide what's true about the relationship at any given moment. So in this case, there is a very specific element involving how they even communicated before he died because he is French and she is German. And they're living in Switzerland. They're living in Switzerland and they're raising their child speaking English. And they only speak English to each other. But it's not their primary language. This becomes a focus of, this becomes a point of contention in the trial where, which is entirely conducted in French. 
And at times, she has to speak German or speak English to get her point across. Her point across. <clears throat> also, you know, if you're used to American courtroom dramas, this is... In, in Switzerland, apparently, there's a lot of crosstalk. <laughs> <laughs> so issues of language come into play. Uh, perspective. Regarding the, the, the differing perspectives on, on reality and what's yeah. true. Uh, cultural differences, of course. Uh, also, what sorts of rules heterosexual couples fall into or sort of voluntarily adopt because of just tradition? Right. Um, you know, what is expected of a man or a woman in those arrangements? How emotions are expected to be displayed or performed, especially when grief is the expected emotion. When you're looking to witness someone who is grieving. And why aren't they grieving the way you think they should grieve? Yeah, you know what I thought about at times during this one? Yeah. Um, uh, a cry in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, like, what happens when someone dies and the couple, maybe they were having a few more, a few concurrent difficulties. Yeah. Uh, than the outside, than any outside observer might find comfortable in forgiving, as though they have any right to, to judge or forgive at all. Right. I'm saying all this because there's a moment in the trial where an especially damning sounding audio argument is introduced in a regular movie this would be a gotcha moment yeah for the trial this would be a turning point it would be something that we would expect when there is a mystery a mystery like this that's at play a mystery that this two and a half hour film isn't super interested in solving oh, for no. you nope. at all. It's really throwing all of it into your lap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that the, the yeah the, that recorded argument again lends itself to so much interpretation. Lends itself to right. so much who you believe, what they mean when they said what they said, how they said it. Um, you know, and, and again, you're right. It is so much about like, okay, fine. You might dis disapprove or think I'm wrong for these aspects of my marriage. Does that make me a murderer? Right, exactly. And so uh, it moves at its very own methodical, analytical pace. The script yeah. is, there's not one ounce of fat mm -hmm. <laughs> on this script. Uh and in spite of those two adjectives I used, it's never cold. No. You you want to hear everything that everybody is saying to each other, find out what they're doing and why. You would think that sitting through a, a long courtroom drama would be... Taxing. Sort of taxing. It is not. Zips by. <laughs> um, Sandra Hewler is... An incredible performer. Oh, she's so good in this. I can't wait till you see The Zone of Interest. I do. I'm absolutely wanting to see Zone of Interest. I uh, I, I think of her performance in Tony Erdman. I would like you to not talk for a minute about Tony Erdman. Her performance in Tony Erdman. <laughs> this is a couple's problem she's that we not, have. She is not Tony, my problem with, with Tony, Tony Erdman. Erdman. <laughs> The wonderful film, Tony Erdman, has 
an, an incredible performance by Sandra Hewler as a woman who is incredibly conflicted about yet another familial situation, this time with her own father, who has made her life chaos, and she wants the opposite of chaos. And so he comes back in and tries to chaoticate her life again. She's not having it. She's not having it. She's not having it. And then maybe she's having it a little bit because it's kind of fun sometimes. It is really a wonderful film, and she is wonderful in it. Um, and you agree with me about her performance at least if you don't agree with me about the film. She's, she's fine in okay. that film. But she's, she's, she's that, that, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> she's great here. She's great in Zone of Interest. I need to shout out an actor that I have not seen in anything before until now. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be on the lookout for him in. Oh wait, I'm sorry, I have because he was in. Uh, he was in uh, BPM. Oh. Antoine Reynards. Oh, the the prosecuting as attorney. The meanest. Oh, he's so good in this. The meanest, bitchiest. Yeah. Prosecutor that you have seen in a courtroom drama. <laughs> he is so vicious. You want to throw a drink in his face? He's so vicious. <laughs> To everyone, <laughs> even a child. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he does not hold back. Like every every moment he's on screen, I was like, "Who are you? Oh, you bitch! What are you? <laughs> who are you? And what are you doing?" It's it is it is it is something to behold. Yeah. If 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 you go see this, pay close attention to this guy. <laughs> oh, you don't you'll you can't miss him. <laughs> he will. He will make you want to fight. <laughs> you're not even convinced if she's guilty or not. And you're still like, could you tone it down a little bit? Stop badgering her, even if it turns out she did it. Like, just stop knocking off. <laughs> this, he is a, he's an expert badgerer. Yeah. He badgers. You know how when you complain to me about how I ask you too many questions, you say I'm peppering you with yes. questions? He's a pepperer. He peppers. He's a pepper. <laughs> so, yeah, this is one of the better films I've seen all year. Oh, yeah. You will not regret watching this. Go find it. If it's, in your, if it's playing near you. See it with people you can have animated this discussions with A24 afterwards. release it? Uh, Neon. Neon released it. So this, it's in, it's this in is, wide yeah. release. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Neon's third Palm d'Or winner in a row. Yeah. Okay, Five <clears throat> Nights at Freddy's. A movie that I ordinarily would have been like, oh, you can ignore this one. But because it was day and date on Peacock, you were like, eh, I'll watch it. <laughs> I did. Yeah. We both did. We both did. Uh, here's how old I am. I'm old enough to be having a hip replacement surgery in two weeks. <clears throat> I'm also old enough to have never, not even once, patronized a Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz pizza. Yeah, that was that was after me too. Not so. once. I'm too. I was too old for that. Also, I walked into one of them once when one of my nieces had a birthday party and she was like six. That's it. I hung out long enough to taste how. God awful the pizza was. <laughs> I gave her her present. Everyone in the focus group for the pizza was six years old. I said hey to the <clears throat> said hey to the parents, and I left. Here's another thing about me that that colors my perception of what I watched. 
I am not a gamer. I've yeah. never been. I didn't even know this was a game. You had to tell me that this was based on a game. Having said that, not being a gamer and being old is irrelevant to the way I do my job here. I never fought in a war either. <laughs> but I can tell you a lot about different war movies, True. the good ones and the bad ones. So, before we get into the film itself, am I wrong? I saw this trailer the number of times. It's an actual number. It's called Umpteen. <laughs> Every time I went to the movies, the trailer for Five, Night at, yeah. Five Nights at Freddy's was happening. So how was this movie sold, marketed, to people like you and me? I don't know that it was, and I don't know that, that it mattered that it was. Because, okay, but it was. But here, well, let me tell you. Right. I, I went, we were in Atlanta when the press screenings happened. So I went to the press screening in Atlanta. Unlike here, where there are enough press floating around that you can just have a press screening and fill a theater. Yes. This was like they roped off a couple of rows in a standard Word of mouth screening. I don't know who the, if it was a radio thing or whatever. The internet. The internet. Yes. The people who came to that screening. They were ready. Were so excited were for to see a movie based on Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. There was cosplay. Somebody <coughs> came dressed as one of the bears. <coughs> like had a big head. <laughs> a big paper mache bear head came in costume as one of the like. Chuck E. Cheese robots. These I, people. I find that amusing. There was a trivia quiz. I, I approve of that. There was a trivia quiz before the screening started to get T-shirts, and hands were going up. Everybody knew all the, the things. The answers. They were they were pumped. So I don't know that Universal bothered to try and get you and me into this the into the theater under our own steam. All right. I had a part two of that sentence before you... I'm sorry. ...went off on your own story. Oh, don't be sorry. It was a good story. Okay. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> but because this trailer was playing before pretty much every single thing I went to see at mm -hmm. an AMC, yeah. whether it was Anatomy of a Fall <laughs> or Strays, okay? Because mm -hmm. it's been playing... Oh, yeah. No, no. I've been seeing it, too. ...since the summer. Yeah. That trailer. They were selling it to people like us as a straight-up horror film. Yeah. Right? And that's not what it is. No. To the gamers who are fans of Five Nights at Freddy's, all that needed to happen was just for this movie to exist. But to bring in the rest of us, they crafted the trailer as a straight-up horror film. Not as an exploration of childhood trauma <laughs> mixed up with supernatural elements, which was, in fact, what it was. Yes. Tell me what it's about. Oh, boy. Okay. I know, but I'm, this is a rhetorical question. Sure. Yeah. All right. So Josh Hutcherson, an actor I've always liked. And who I like in this film, but go on. Uh, plays a guy named Mike. He uh, does not sleep very well because every night since Mike, his childhood... Mike, 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 Mike. It's Five Nights at Freddy's Day. Every <laughs> night since his childhood, he has willed himself to dream about the abduction of his younger brother. 
which happened while his family was on a camping trip and he feels responsible. He feels guilty about it. And so that's been the driving obsession of his life ever since. He is raising his much younger sister, which I was baffled. I assumed that she was his niece. But it's like, no, no, it's his sister. It was like, wait, if the much pa- younger, if he, we, he talks about how the parents were devastated by the kidnapping of the brother. So the idea that then 10 years later they had another child, the movie doesn't really quite explain. But anyway, we'll go with it. So he has a hard time holding down a job because he's, you know, not sleeping and, and generally a haunted person. Um, and his mean aunt, played by Mary Stuart Masterson, what of a all treat people, to have her on uh, uh, on board. Wants to being terrible. Yeah, wants yeah. W- wants custody of the little girl, basically for the checks for that money. come. Yeah, and so he has to get a job that he can hold down. So this job counselor says, "Well, I've got one that might work for you. It's this old." You know, Matthew uh, Lillard. Matthew Lillard is the job yeah. counselor. It's guy. this old. It's an old Freddy Fazbear's restaurant. They've never torn it down. They need a night watchman. Can you do that? He's like, sure, fine. And this Freddy Fazbear's restaurant was the site of several children going missing, and has these weird robot, you know, musicians the way the old Chuck E. Cheese restaurants did. And uh, as we find out, really before the credits, even like they come to life and do weird things. So, you know, it, 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 you know, will Mike solve the, the mystery of the, the crime that has haunted his entire life? Will his younger sister uh, fall prey to whatever it is that made those kids go missing at the pizza place and such? Okay. <clears throat> you... Hated this pretty much. Okay, <laughs> can you explain? Well, you know, I don't, I don't think it it works as a horror film because it's boring uh, for, <laughs> for starters. It's also aggressively PG thirteen, and that occasionally will have these moments of death, of mayhem <laughs> that are bloodless, which yeah. are ridiculous. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it has all these things on the table about childhood trauma and sort of childhood whimsy gone wrong you know with these delightful but horrifying you know creature contraptions right but none of it goes anywhere or becomes anything particularly interesting and then by the time it serves up this twist in the third act it's both totally obvious and makes no sense whatsoever okay we're not going to give away anything no I would never because they do wait for quite a bit of time. Yeah. Uh, so in that first long stretch where they're laying out the background. Oh, yeah. You don't get to Freddy's for a good 20, 25 minutes in this movie. They're laying out the story. The reality of what's happening has not yet been explained. And it's about 40 minutes in. And I'm starting to lose my patience with the mystery element of this. Because... We know that, that the animal, the, the, the animatronic robot band members or whoever, they're coming to life at night. We know that. But we don't know why. We don't know what it has to do with the missing children. We don't know what it has to do with Josh Hutcherson's, Josh Hutcherson's brother uh, going missing. 
there's a cop involved. A she's a she's involved in this whole situation too. We don't know what it's got to do with her. And then it begins to unfold. Then we start to learn that this element of the supernatural is is happening. How? Well, who knows how? <laughs> it just is, okay? Now, here's what I appreciate about this. I like the creatures. I like the robots. They were used, I think, to creepy effect. Mm. Not terrifying effect, but but creepy. They're on that cusp of like, could be cute, could be, you know horrifying definitely enough to make a kid watching this film be kind of scared sure perhaps. uh and it is on some level it is aimed at like a tween kind of audience uh i suspect that it was probably shot with an r rating in mind and then they decided then to go chopped up yeah yeah i also appreciate the attempt at taking seriously the lingering effects of a truly traumatic event out of childhood and how it affects Mike, the character. And Josh Hutcherson is agonized through the entire film, and he is really carrying that and and giving you a performance about a, an, a, a, an anguished person whatever emotional power the film has, and it has some, mm. is due to him. He's, he's, he's giving it his best. But it's a messy movie, and it doesn't always spin all the plates it wants to. I, just, I see what it was going for. Uh -huh. And the twist at the end is weird enough to make me think that the inevitable sequel might be better. Uh, I guess, but uh, yes. I mean, let, let's put it this way. It will be better in that they don't have to deal with this anymore, that the twist has been revealed and they can move on from it. Yeah. But when the twist happened, I was like, well, duh. And then I was like, wait a minute. Well, what about... And it was yeah. like, you know... Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it is... It is it's both, like I said, it's both predictable and nonsensical. <laughs> right. So, uh, as a person who has no investment in the nostalgia aspect, uh, nor the gaming aspect, uh, I'm disappointed that it wasn't frightening. I'm disappointed that it wasn't, that it didn't deliver the mayhem that I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, and I'm disappointed in it dramatically and narratively as well, because... I, it wanted to be something, and 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 as an actor, uh, I guess he's also the producer, Josh Hutcherson. Oh. Uh, you know, is working hard for you hmm. in this film. Yeah, no, no, I, I I don't fault him at all in this, and yeah, I I too, like I said, no no nostalgia for the restaurants and no familiarity with the game, but on paper, you know, like Chuck E. Cheese Westworld. Yeah, okay, I'm down. For that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. But you got to do it right. <laughs> so, my last film before surgery 
was Killers of the Flower Moon. Ah. See, what's happening in these final two weeks is that I'm voluntarily quarantining. Yes. Because my doctor said, if you get sick with anything, we're going to postpone the surgery. And I was like, no, 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 no. I've had two years. I've waited so long. I've had two years of this genuine daily physical pain. I need a new hip. Uh, I will stay home for two weeks and nobody will come in. Uh, so the last thing I did, oh, and that wedding, y'all, was a COVID factory. <laughs> Thankfully, not us. Not us. Yeah, we had we were freshly vaccinated. Uh, and we did not. We were not in the dancing section. We didn't go to the. We didn't go inside anywhere. We didn't go to the after party. All the youngs went to the after party. Anyway, Killers of the Flower Moon. The last thing I saw. Yeah. I gave myself an intermission. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I had to. You know, I can't sit for three and a half hours. It's, it's That's agony. I, I've been having this oh. discussion on various podcasts, and I basically, I'm, I'm mad at everyone. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm mad at That's Martin. an easy thing to be these yes. days. Mad at everyone. I'm mad at yeah. Martin Scorsese and Thelma Schoonmacher for not building one in, but I'm also mad at theater owners who think that they can just choose a point to stop the movie when, you know, the filmmaker did not pick one for them. So Right, right, right. Um. I don't want to go into this too too much, this whole intermission uh, scandal that's yes. happening. But bring back intermissions. I, I'm old enough to remember when intermission was a thing. Yeah. Kind of routinely. Yeah. Um, and I am currently, in my old age, uh, as regular an opera patron as I can be. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. If it's a one-act opera, 90 minutes, there's no intermission. If it's a two-and-a-half-hour opera, there is a 20-minute intermission. If it's a three-and-a-half-hour opera and they exist, and I've been to them, there are two 20-minute intermissions. Yeah. Two. And you know what that gives you the chance to do? Not get blood clots. (laughs) Well, and, and get a little something to drink. There has, there has. Go to the bathroom. There have been accusations in some quarters that there is something ableist about not having an intermission, and I see their point. Yeah. So, here's where I took my little intermission. The moment the FBI shows up and starts interrogating people, because I was like, well, whatever first round of interrogations they're going to do, little visits to here and there. It will yield nothing. Yeah, but they will be shunned and turned away or talked around or sent on their in another direction. Did you and so I'm going to the bathroom. Did you miss the scene where Jesse Plemons and Leonardo DiCaprio first meet? No. Okay. After that happened. Okay. I because that scene is pretty great. It's great. After that happened, I was like, that was enough to they they wanted that in the trailer. Yes. So I sit through that and then I went to the bathroom. And then, because of my whole situation, I was sitting on the on the aisle next to the the entry corridor, mm-hmm. and so I walked. Around, I stayed in the entry corridor for about another ten minutes, standing and watching and moving my legs around and sure. stretching and all that stuff. Because um, yeah, people like me, uh, we need to 
we got to get up and walk around. Yeah. There's just no two ways about it. So I did. Uh, but I'm a seasoned film goer, and I can tell in a movie when the time to do it is. And believe me, once it drops on Apple TV+, Plus, the internet will be full of, here's how to watch it in two parts. Here's how to watch it as a six-part miniseries. Right. Like, if you want. There will be time codes. You can so. do it any way you want. The, um, But, you know, that that is a thing. So this is based on a nonfiction book yes. called Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. So Scorsese has adapted this book and narrowed the scope. Yeah. Because this entire episode lasted for half a decade and involved dozens of murders, all of them perpetrated by uh, white men in power who wanted oil rights from the Osage. Right. The Osage were in Oklahoma, still are, and uh, and they found oil yeah. on their land. Well, on, on land that the government had dumped them on. Yes, yes. And so they became quite rich. Yeah. But the United States, being the way it is, uh, powerful authorities found ways to circumvent this wealth. The first of which is uh, a thing that is spoken but not explained yes. explicitly. It's one of the first things that Lily Gladstone says in the film. She says her name, comma, incompetent. And if you don't know what that means going in, you have to go Google it when you leave. If you were, uh, if you were full blood Osage, they would officially label you incompetent, and you would be assigned a white guardian who would basically tell you what you could and could not do with your own money. Yes. And it was like being in a conservatorship. Yeah. Basically. Seeing this film makes me want to read the book so I can yeah. learn more about that because up until this point, I am 59 years old and I didn't know about that. Yes. This and is, so, you know, the, the this movie also this mentions... This is the failure of the American education system. Yeah. <laughs> this movie mentions the Tulsa riots, which I think a lot of Americans didn't know about until Watchmen came on. Yeah. White people. Yes. Yeah. So, Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone play actual historical figures. People who really existed and everything in this movie happened to them. And the movie focuses pretty much specifically on them and on uh, Lily Gladstone's character, Molly, on her family. Yes. Because her family is being systematically murdered one by one by Robert De Niro, who has uh, infiltrated the Osage 
people enough so that he is a respected person. Yes. He speaks their language. In their world. Yeah. Gl- very glad handy with them, very politician-y. But- and his official job is he's a cattle rancher. So technically, he doesn't have anything to do with oil, but he has everything, everything to, to do, do with oil. <laughs> In comes Leonardo DiCaprio, his World nephew. World War I veteran. World War I veteran. And he's come to visit his uncle to see about a job. And his uncle says, sure, sure, you can be a driver. But what I really want you to do is court this young woman. This is very easy for, his name is Edward Burkhart. Very easy for him to do. He's young, he's good looking, he's charming, and he loves money. (laughs) So he has the opportunity to make money by marrying into wealth. He doesn't know much about any of the nefarious stuff initially, but he is a pretty simple dude and he's very gullible and he's also as greedy as you need to be to participate in something like this. Right. All he has to do is marry Molly, and eventually, because, and this is one of the first things De Niro says in the film, they're a sickly people. Ugh. So he has already, in their first conversation, he has set up the reality of illness that somehow mysteriously naturally befalls the Osage. The reality is that they're all, that they're being poisoned slowly and dying that way. And this is all intentional. Or just being outright murdered. Yeah. They're either being outright murdered, shot in the head, or they're being slowly poisoned. In in crimes that are not being investigated. Yeah. This happens one by one to Molly's sister's. And her mother. mother folding in all of this wealth into Molly. Yeah. She marries Leonardo DiCaprio, and they are in love. They're really in love. They have children, and his greed and his stupidity are sort of hand in hand in hand. Like blinding him to what is what he's being asked to do by De Niro. With the actual affection he has for her. And he keeps being asked by De Niro to do worse and worse things. And he just keeps saying yes. I won't tell you any more than that if you don't know the story. But Molly, who is diabetic finds herself being given this experimental drug called insulin and some additives. Yes. And so she begins to slowly succumb to the poisoning scheme. I won't say anything more than that because it doesn't end the way you think it might. No. Um, In fact, uh, Christy and I did an entire separate Breakfast All Day thing about the ending of this movie. Yeah. Which is, I think, brilliant uh, and unexpected, but also open to interpretation. Yeah. So, 
It's interesting to me how De Niro talks about sickliness at the beginning of the film when there is a sickness taking place. And it's it's in the plans yeah. of the white men who have run the United States from its very beginnings. Yeah. This whole movie is a colonization metaphor, basically. Yeah. It is a it is a spiritual sickness. This is a man, Scorsese, this is a director who made silence and who made the last temptation of Christ. <laughs> He's quite religious in his worldview, even though he is not a religious person. Kundun. Exactly, Kundun. But he's always looking for that meaning in his films. And this, this, goes all, this goes into the gangster movies, too. The Irishman is, like, is about yeah. the same kind of thing. But this sort of spiritual sickness that he examines in many of his films... In this film, in turn, it becomes material. And it becomes material for every person, every Osage person who is subjugated in the movie. Every, every person in every, you know, Scorsese film who is subjugated by the bad guys. Every person in American history who has been subjugated by uh, the, the forces of, you know, American power as it's manifested in slavery, in ongoing poverty, in uh, civil rights, you know, violations and oppressions, greed. The genocide of the, you know, First Nations. The genocide of, of indigenous people in the United States. Yeah. Yes. So these men in history, they gave themselves over to that. This is not unique to the United States. No. The whole world, the history of the world, yeah. is one of domination and and oppression. And what Martin Scorsese then does, I think, is he takes what he knows, because he is a white American man, and he opens up that world to show its ruin. He does this in movie after movie after movie after movie. And I think in that ending that we're not going to talk about, right? acknowledges where he, you know, an understanding of his own perspective yes. and where he... His perspective as a filmmaker. As a filmmaker, yeah. as a storyteller. And, yeah. and, and his, his... The position from which he is telling that story. You are not expecting this ending. Yeah. Uh, so quite often, I think, the ruin that he lays open, sometimes it's very personal, uh, but it's just as often uh, structural. Like he goes into systems that men operate like he's frederick wiseman <laughs> almost you know he's exploring an institution and he digs into sometimes the glamour that they invent for themselves you know you watch casino the aviator the aviator uh they, they invent it for themselves to make it look fun and then he lets them all fall down <laughs> and in this movie i think very much like this last one the irishman he is moving into a more and more restrained kind of storytelling. Yeah. Which might tax some filmgoers. I don't know. I, I know what kind of filmmaker Scorsese is. I know what has been, what have, what have the influences have been on his filmmaking. International art cinema of the 20th century. If you haven't seen the films that influenced him, that's why he makes the movies he makes. 
you know, if you've never seen a Visconti film, <laughs> that will help you know what kind of filmmaker he is, you know. I, I think the other thing that's interesting about Killers is that there is some humor in the film as well. There is. Uh, and that, 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 to me, always called to mind uh, the whole Lufthansa heist sequence of Goodfellas, where De Niro has to contend with the fact that people aren't listening to his his plans right. and are doing right. it wrong. Yeah. And, you know, and, and even though what they're doing is terrible, there is comedy in the incompetence of, well, that's, you know, that's why, that's why, that's why conspiracies and schemes tend to get discovered. Yeah. Because the comedy of human stupidity. Right. Of, oh, you didn't do it exactly like I told you to. Well, now we're all going to prison. Yeah. And they all deserved to go to prison. And some of them did for a time. Not enough time and not enough people. No. But anyway, like I said, like with the Irishman, I think he's moving into a more restrained sort of storytelling where this this human destruction is visible, but it's not shouting at you. No. You know, uh, it's just as hideous and wicked. You know, this is a smiling, friendly evil, and it's but it's on, fully on display, even more so than in the Irishman. Oh yeah, no, it um, is it is charming, charmingly monstrous, basically, yeah. and it's devastating. It is a devastating film, yeah. and the three main performances uh, are all meticulously detailed. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio has become smaller in this film. <laughs> And I don't know a better way to say it than that. Right. There is. He's tamped down his light. I think I think that when you go see a film starring him, you're thinking, ah, Leo, mm. be a Leo, you know. The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, you're, you're expecting, you're expecting, uh, you're expecting. Uh, King a, of the world. <laughs> a big, a big thing. Yeah. And he's giving you a small thing here. He's giving you a an, an unaware character. Yeah. And when he becomes aware, it's too much for him to be aware of. So he just pretends like it's not happening the way it's really happening. He is, he is a bad man who can't figure out that he, how bad he really is. Right. And who just lets the bad thing happen. And then, well, I won't, I won't tell you. Yeah. But, De Niro has never been more evil. <laughs> this is one of his best performances in um, a while. And I think people are rightly noting Lily Gladstone as sort of the emotional core of the film. Oh, and yeah. that's because, you know, she is standing in for dozens of people yeah. who were tormented until their deaths. And so... In this specific time and place. In this specific time and place. And so... This is an amazing movie. Yeah. We, we've been Team Lily Gladstone ever since Certain, Certain Women. women. Uh, and yeah, she's, she's been in several other small A handful of films. indies, and she was on Reservation Dogs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she is so powerful in this. And it's one of those performances where it's not what she says, but it's how much is carried in a look. Yeah, although she does, you know, she's got plenty of dialogue. Yeah, you know, but 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 um, but but as she as she gets sicker, and as she gets sicker, she speaks less because she's 
debilitated. She's trying not to die. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, but, but she just conveys so much. Yeah. So, um, there is one thing that a friend asked me, Mm -hmm. uh, what I think about, and that is the, uh, the idea of who is telling this story and why. And what he meant was, why is Martin Scorsese the one telling this story? And the answer is the American uh, mainstream filmmaking industry. I mean, that's unfortunately, that is the answer. And again, I think that ties into how he ends the movie. There are indigenous filmmakers in the world who are working. Yeah. Sidney Freeland. Yep. Uh, made Drunk Town's Finest, an acclaimed indie film, mm-hmm. and is now working on the Marvel television show Echo. Yes. And she um, could have been hired to make this movie. Yep. But the studio's not going to be like, oh, yeah, here's, you know, here's money for you. Yeah, because the the scale of this movie is, is also really yeah. impressive. It, it's funny because I thought this, and then our friend Nathan Rabin pointed it out on his Substack, which is like this is Martin Scorsese's Heaven's Gate in the good way, in that in Heaven's Gate, Michael Cimino like built those Montana towns from scratch. It's a huge, it's a huge movie. Yeah, with a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think there's that, a lot of money on screen, and you're seeing all of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, sadly, those kind of checks only get written to a very small handful of filmmakers. You, Yes, handful. Yeah, like literally. Yeah. So that's the way that business is working. Yeah. Even now, even when people keep saying, oh, we want more diverse you know, stories and filmmakers and actors and writers and directors – but for something like this, we're going to give that money to Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Now, here is what I think is great about Scorsese being the guy. <laughs> there is no, there is no director of his stature who is a more committed cinephile, <laughs> and more and more committed to getting it right when he makes a movie. And so. If they're going to give it to a white dude, let's make it be him. Because they are going to give it to a white dude. Right. Here's the hope of the future. It starts with television, and it has already started with television. Reservation Dogs. We have a Patreon. (laughs) where We have a podcast called LKTV where we talk about television shows. And our favorite show of the past couple years has been Reservation Dogs. Yeah. Uh, not because we're woke. I mean, we're real woke, but Very. like, but, <laughs> but because it's perfect. Yeah. It's a perfect show. It is about uh, native teenagers in Oklahoma and just their lives and how they think they want to get out and go off to somewhere bigger and cooler. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. It's three seasons long. I guess you got about 18, 20-something episodes, maybe 25 episodes in total of the three seasons of this brilliant, smart, funny, moving, inventive, unpredictable show. 
and it was produced by Taika Waititi and created by uh, Sterling Harjo. So that show has like all indigenous cast, creators, directors, everybody, right? And now you've got the kids from that show who are writing <laughs> films of their own, like getting so, cast in other stuff, getting cast in other things. It sucks that that it's 2023 and this is how it's slowly moving. But I have to look at this and think, come on, let's go, let's go. Let's make more of this kind of thing happen because what I saw on those three seasons of television was so beautiful and so great that one of the folks involved in this in this in this enterprise, whether it's Sterling Harjo or Sidney Freeland, or if Lily Gladstone starts directing, whatever happens, take that success and like somehow multiply it in any possible way. Get like something will hit. It has to, right? Yeah. I mean, I would like to believe. <laughs> that the world doesn't always have to be, you know, we're going to tell this story. You know, Jonathan Demme is going to make this movie about AIDS. And it's going to star two uh, straight guys, and one of them is going to play gay. And you know what I mean? Like, in that moment, there were already independent films. Yeah, the new queer, queer cinema had happened. The new <laughs> queer cinema had happened. Films about AIDS had happened from queer filmmakers on a small scale, but it took this other thing to make people go, what? Huh? Huh? You know, and, and so that, again, in 1993, that sucked. Right. If you were queer, you were like, hmm, folding your arms in front of you. I remember sure. being like, all right, what do you got? I'll go see this. I like Jonathan Demi. That's what's getting me in the theater. And, and also, it's worth noting in 1993 is the year that Norman Jewison was going to make a Malcolm X biopic. And Spike Lee was like, oh, no, you're not. Right. And because right. and that's because we had a Spike Lee right. who could, you know, like. Who had finally gotten enough, like, clout. Power. Yeah. To get something done. And so, Killers of the Flower Moon is a great film. And now I want to see Sidney Freeland go from Echo to her next bigger cinematic canvas. Yeah. Absolutely. That's 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 what I want. Yeah. Um anyway, we got letters. Yes. Let me dig them up. This one is from Benjamin. He says Karina Longworth uh, completes the erotic decades series this week. Mm. Uh, her podcast uh, you must remember you must this. remember this has been talking about the sexy 90s yes yeah. uh, she withholds her future plans at the end of the episode uh, and then he said LK did an episode when the journey began or when it changed decades I think, I think we, we mentioned we did that it mention was happening it. Yeah. yeah yeah but I'll, well, I'll finish the letter is there a plan for a round table panel to discuss the series uh, well, okay, I'll tell you what. 
Uh, so far, no, there is no plan for that. And here's why. Uh, we haven't listened to this series yet. We talked about it existing. As it was launching. As it was launching, but we didn't get to it. Uh, we're very busy. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, you must remember this is a great podcast. Sure. You know, uh, and I am, uh, uh, I'm a fan. So I do want to listen to this. You know, and it gets in the way of my... Maybe while I'm convalescing from my hip replacement surgery. Go. Yeah. You know, it gets in the way of me listening to podcasts. All the other podcasts you Recording do. podcasts. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I'm behind on everything, yeah. including that. So, you know, uh, you know, thank you for the encouragement. Here's yes. hoping we will try to get to that. Uh, it could take some time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shoddy! This is about Killer of the Flower, Killers of the Flower Moon, mm -hmm. since it's been out for a few weeks now, and we're just getting around to talking about it. She said, I'm sorry, uh, but this is a three-and-a-half-hour movie about a perfect, in quotes, woman of color lying in bed and dying beautifully, while all the men get to run around and do interesting, interesting morally complicated things. Once again, Hollywood has no idea what women want to see in a big epic movie. And on a more personal note, I kind of wish Clint Eastwood had played the Robert De Niro role. It would have been a great swan song for Clint to go out as the ultimate Western sleazebag villain. Also, I don't know if you will have the stomach to review the Ukrainian war documentary that will be nominated for Oscars this year, but it directly links to the current conflict in Palestine. Mm. What, what documentary are we talking about It's called about 20 here? Days in Mariupol. Oh, Oh, we, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, no. Uh, so. But we, it's, you know, it will get to us, I'm sure, one way or another. Um, if it's coming up for awards consideration, they will send us a DVD. Indeed. Uh, and, yeah, I'll watch. I mean, do I have the stomach to watch a lot of the documentaries that come out at the end of the year wanting awards? Yeah, no kidding. I quite often do not. I will but say, sometimes I do anyway. I will say this about Clint Eastwood. One of the, I know everybody loves Unforgiven, and I think it's a great movie in a lot of ways. But, it's, and maybe, yeah. maybe maybe this is just based on the audience I saw it with. Yeah. But I think that Clint Eastwood's iconography undercuts the end of that movie. Because when Clint Eastwood's character in Unforgiven, and this is a spoiler 34 years later, uh, <laughs> just, you know, like shoots everyone. Yeah. And it's supposed to represent this character, like, losing whatever shred of moral redemption he had left right. and giving into his worst impulses and being lost for all time. Yeah. Maybe it was just the audience I saw it with, but boy, were they thrilled to see Clint Eastwood shoot everybody. They were like, woo. Yeah. Oh. Like they were yeah, into it. And well, I'm like, yeah. well, you know, it is Clint Eastwood. I see why you might be thinking that, but that is not well, what this, this could have been about. Clint's do over. Maybe, but for I'm that, for that particular audience. I, I hope. I hope they wouldn't be all like, "Yeah, go." I mean, because that that would be really distressing if they did. But anyway, that's as it. for the film that we are that we just talked about yes. that you were referencing here, it goes on the agree to disagree. Well, list. we I, we didn't see the same film. No, I didn't think of her as a perfect person. No, nope. um, I didn't think of her uh, her suffering as a, a beautiful thing. Like I, I don't know. I. I I, I didn't think of the men as being morally complicated. I thought of them as being just wretched, <laughs> horrible. Um, if anyone is a morally compl complicated person, it's 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 DiCaprio's character, but it's because he's too dumb to know what say, he's doing half the time. Stupid. 
Um, I think the film definitely takes a side. I, th I think the film takes a side on the side of historical reckoning, you know, uh, the accuracy of showing you what the United States did to the people who were here first. Um, I, I, that's the movie I saw. Yeah. So, I, and, I, and it felt like it was using this specific example to talk about a much larger issue about, yeah. you know, so anyway, I'm sorry you didn't like it. Yeah. I, I'm sorry that it, it didn't, you know, do what it wanted to do for you. Yeah. yeah. That's how art works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You no, and I, no two people see the same movie. We we didn't. You saw something other than Tony Erdman. I know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. Um, one of the other films I watched while we were uh, uh, away was 1973's Messiah of Evil. And we're going to talk about it on an episode of a podcast that we do called Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife. How do you get Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, Dave? You get it for $1 each month. You subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com slash linoleum knife. And you get uh, the daily thing called LKRX that I talked about earlier. And you get uh, one or two a month of uh, Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife. Where we take an old movie and we talk about it in detail. Uh, I think it's it's a lot of fun for us to do because it, it involves quite often films we've not seen before. Yeah. Films we're catching up to. First time watches sometimes, you know, for us. Uh, and again, that's 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 for the low, low price of $1 yeah. a month. There are other levels on the Patreon uh, where you get... They'll bring you more shows. Okay, TV, Linoleum Knife and Fork. Uh, Linoleum Nights. Linoleum Nights. Go there. Patreon.com slash subscription knife. level is right for you. Yes. And uh, we're going to be dropping the Messiah of Evil episode here in the next couple of days. If you are a Patreon person and you don't see that show up in your feed, it's because your card was declined. <laughs> So it happens at the first of the month. Every month, I, I watch the cards go boop, 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 boop <laughs> on the thing, and I'm like, oh, decline, 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 decline. It happens. Like to us I'm, all. Not, I don't have the record in front of me. I'm not seeing your card be declined. I don't, I'm not that uh, in your business, but I'm seeing the number go <laughs> off the off the so, bit. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com/slash so, yeah. life. More of this. If you're missing content, it's because your card got declined. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, I think our Patreon shows are good. I, I do. We, I we, do. we, we, believe me, there's a lot of work going into those things. There is. So we make, we, we make it sound real easy. I know. <laughs> but it's really hard. You got casual and half-assed, <laughs> but it's a pro operation. Uh, and okay. goodbye. This is the end of this podcast. Yes. Uh, go check out my reviews at thefilmverdict.com, won't you? And you can also hear me on other podcasts, including uh, Breakfast All Day, where we have a YouTube channel that recently hit 25,000 subscribers. Hooray. If you're one of them, thank you. Uh, it's also a podcast, uh, as well as Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network and Deck the Hallmark, where I will be popping in once a week to talk about um, 
new Christmas movies that are not on Hallmark or Lifetime. Oh, wow. There are more of them than you'd think. More than you want. Um, some of them you might actually enjoy this year. We'll, we'll see, see about that. I'm, I have I have high hopes for like, you know, mm. Lil Rel's Disney Plus movie and Eddie Murphy's Amazon movie. We'll Maybe. See. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, yeah. um, you can uh, subscribe to this show for free at Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review when you do, and we will read it on the air. You can also leave positive feedback in the many, many places that we stream, including... Um, uh, Spotify and Google Play and Amazon Music and iHeartRadio, Castbox, Podbean, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we are at Linoleum Cast on uh, Blue Sky, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. You can drop did you us a dump, line. Did you dump the Twitter? I did. Good. Yes. Yep. You can drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Go see what he's up to at bluebleu.bandcamp.com. And until next time, goodbye.